Welcome to the World We Got This podcast, brought to you by King's College London. In this series, we take a look at the complex issues we face in the world today. We ask those researching and studying these fields about the scale of the challenge and ask them what society and each of us as individuals can do to help solve it. This is an In Conversation episode with PhD alumnus Dr. Fulahanmi Aina and Dr. Wale Ismail, Senior Lecturer in Leadership, Peace and Development in the African Leadership Center at King's. Fola's research examines Nigeria's leadership role in promoting regional peace and security through the Economic Community of West African States, or ECOWAS. He examines whether Nigeria's strategy is about state survival or regime survival. Fola discusses how his assumptions about the subject were challenged by the qualitative fieldwork he undertook, leading him to a new understanding of Nigeria's place in Africa and the world. Here's their conversation. Hello, welcome. My name is Wale Ismail. I'm part of the faculty at the SGA, the School of Global Affairs at the African Leadership Center. I'm here today with one of our recently finished PhDs. Could you please introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Wale. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. My name is Fola Aino. I'm a recently graduated PhD from the African Leadership Center. Thank you, Fola. Fola, could you tell us what led you to pursuing a PhD in the first instance, broadly speaking, but more specifically at King's College London and at ALC for that matter? Thank you very much. So for me, I had always known that I wanted to study for a PhD. It was a personal uh, desire. Amongst other things was because at the time, uh, people had told me that uh, a PhD was a daunting task. Uh, personally, I've always found challenges to be very exciting and adventurous, so it was something I was willing to embark on. But even more so, uh, interestingly, I come from an academic background. My father uh, is a professor, and my mother was a professor as well. So I believe in many ways, you know, being exposed to an academic family, that level perhaps had uh, prepared my interests in academia. And for my decision to study at King's uh, was was a no-brainer. King's is known to have uh, very good expertise in the area of security studies. And I knew my PhD was going to be something that both uh, centered around security. Uh, but even more so, I wanted to work with um, experts who were well-known, who were grounded in the area I was going to be working in. So I had the privilege of being... Uh, accepted at the African Leadership Center, which uh, was a perfect opportunity for me, given what my interests were, hence my decision to pursue the PhD at the African Leadership Center at King's. Thank you, Fola. Could you remind us again what your topic was, and if you can just say a couple of sentences about it? During my PhD, my topic was um, leadership in national security policy making, Nigeria's grand strategy and survival in the West African sub-region. Essentially what this uh, leadership focused on was to look into the decision of the uh, Nigerian states during both the Liberian Civil War and also explicitly the Liberian Civil War. The decision of the Nigerian state to intervene in these civil wars at the time towards uh, helping to ensure the restoration of um, peace, security, and stability at the time. So for a very long time, the literature had said the reason why Nigeria had intervened alongside regional 
body which is the economic community of west african states ECOWAS, was primarily to avert the likelihood of a spillover into the country in terms of refugees and also other forms of um, political crisis uh, but if, if you look at the map of um, africa there's even though liberia and sierra leone are both in west africa which is where nigeria is there's quite a distance between both countries. So you'd have to, you know, pass through a couple of other countries before you get into Nigeria from where those countries are, which are primarily situated in some place called the Mano River Basin. So I felt essentially there was more to the reason why Nigeria should have, uh, was keen on intervening beyond just uh, concerns of ice spillover. In fact, even though the literature has said primarily. Hola, can I interrupt you for a minute and actually put the question to you? What led you to pursue this topic? Why did you choose this topic? What is the attraction? What is the obsession with it? It's because you seem to be quite obsessed with it. Yes. So for me, I've always been a firm believer of the fact that uh, Nigeria, being a regional hegemon in its own rights, has largely underutilized its geostrategic position in the sub-region. Growing up as a young person, I heard a lot of stories about uh, the important role Nigeria played, particularly with regards to the earlier case studies I was talking about, the interventions in Liberia and in Sierra Leone, and how it is that Nigeria played a significant role in helping to restore peace, you know, security, and stability in these countries. But then down the line, uh, I also noticed that Nigeria wasn't pulling its weight with regards to some of the recent happenings in the region whether it was in the Lake Chad Basin region uh, with the Boko Haram insurgency, or whether uh, in the Sahel region, even the threat posed by violent extremism. And in more recent times, what appeared to be a decline, you know, a, a withdrawal in its uh, leadership position. So I thought that warranted an investigation in itself. And so I decided to go and investigate what I thought Nigeria did better at those times and how some lessons and inferences can be drawn from its experiences during those times to see if it can perhaps recalibrate its leadership position in the region to mitigate some of the challenges that the sub-region is currently being confronted with. So for me, it was also in many ways doing a historical revisit and to see how lessons can be learned from those experiences and applied in current times to also help um, address some of the challenges the country. Thank you, Fola. You're already talking about the importance of studying Nigeria's grand strategy both in historical terms, but also with implications for contemporary times. Could you articulate more strongly the importance of focusing on this topic, on this research for you, but also the wider relevance, the wider utility of doing a research like this? Sometimes we call this a so what question. Yeah, you've done it, so, so what? How does it matter that this topic is studied or was studied? Again, going back to the literature, for a very long time, as I had earlier alluded to, the literature had told us that primarily, amongst other things, but primarily, the reason Nigeria had intervened during those times was because they need to abut a likely spillover. But even, I mean, going through the literature before taking on the decision to, to take on the PhD, I wasn't convinced with that position. Because like I already mentioned, even when you look at the distance between Nigeria and these other countries, it wasn't enough to be concerned about the likelihood of a spillover. I mean, if it was something that was happening in, say, maybe Niger or in Chad, then perhaps Nigeria may be more, might have been more concerned, imminently, imminently so. You know, and I'll come back to that in uh, so the happenings in the region in more recent times. So what I sought to do was in many ways to interrogate the literature, right? Hence the survival component of the research. So I sought to ask, was it really about state survival, as the literature has always told us about, or there was more? Perhaps there was another angle. And by virtue of conducting the research, the findings revealed a disruption 
of what the literature had told us over the past 20 years. That was primarily because of state survival, whereas my findings, which are new findings, pointed to the fact that Nigeria's intervention had more to do with regime survival rather than state survival. Because I had to interview people who were at the helm of the decision-making at the time. And for my conversations with them, which are mostly key informant interviews, including a former president, including former national security advisors and all of that, I found out that the primary reason wasn't necessarily concerns over an imminent threat, but rather more focused on the need to have protected the regime, its own survival, given that it was a military regime at the time. Because there were concerns over dissidents uh, rising up and being emboldened by what was happening in Liberia and in Sierra Leone, also in Nigeria, given the fact that the climate at the time was under a military uh, regime. So the, the, the military, amongst other things, felt the need to divert attention away from domestic affairs towards an international cause. To also quickly answer the second part of your question, because you asked about its relevance in more recent times. So it's interesting also because shortly after my PhD, and we've begun to see what some people have called democratic backsliding you know, across the sub-region with uh, countries like um, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, in more recent times, and also uh, Gabon, and of course Guinea-Bissau, and Guinea being taken over by uh, military junters. So again, in many ways, this reiterates you know, concerns over uh, political instability and the important role that Nigeria and other the regional body, which is the Economic Community of West African States, has to play, especially with regards to mediatory and diplomatic efforts, at hoping to reverse, you know, our in one, on the one hand these coups, and more importantly, avert the likelihood of their occurrence, you know, to build to guarantee uh, stability on the continent. So in many ways, the research is very relevant to current happenings on the sub-region. Thank you. Yeah, I know the research is, is, is completed. You've submitted your thesis, you've done your Viva, and it's always good to, to reflect on the research you did, you know, how it went and, you know, and the rest. Could you speak about some of the challenges you faced in doing the PhD generally, but also uh, in relation to your topic, you know, the fieldwork, everything from conception to fieldwork analysis and all of that? So maybe you could pick a few challenges in the PhD, broadly speaking, and maybe a few challenges with your fieldwork and data collection as, as well. So for me, to be honest, when I started the PhD, I never thought I would be able to write 100,000 words, which is ironic, because when I think back on it now, my PhD was slightly just over 100,000 words. You know, um, So technically, you can say a PhD is about 10 master dissertations. You know, So that in itself was quite daunting at the start. But uh, through consistency, through persistence, you know, uh, the numbers added up, you know, and I was able to uh, complete it. But speaking more broadly about some of the cooler challenges I encountered during the PhD, beyond issues bordering around writer's block, you know, and grappling with my own self-confidence and all of that, even when I went on to the field, because of the nature of the work in itself, I had to speak to a lot of um, um, elites, people who were at the helm of the national security establishment at the time, some of them also currently still there. The, the nature of these kind of interviews in many ways involved talking to people who were initially, from the onset, skeptical about talking to an outsider or a civilian. And uh, secondly, also, because there were elite interviews, a lot of them were keen on telling me the things they wanted me to hear, not necessarily the things answers to the questions that I was asking them, because uh, it was an opportunity for them to look good and also in many ways to also justify some of the decisions they had made 
in the past. And so navigating this in itself required some form of skill because I had to corroborate all the things they were telling me with some of the existing secondary sources that was out there. So conducting research, especially with elites, was quite interesting. And then another third challenge that came up was COVID-19, the global pandemic. You know, So conducting also interviews involving security matters, even though there were things that had happened in the past, over Zoom calls, over telephone calls, was quite tricky. Because with such interviews, most of these people would rather have you come up in person, you know, and talk to them in person. So having to navigate that in itself was quite daunting, you know, and then working from home all through the PhD, a significant part of the PhD in the aftermath of the COVID pandemic was also quite challenging in itself, you know, having to stay, you know, away from where you have a lot more people in offices and all of that, you know, it was quite mentally draining, mentally tasking also working with the deadlines and all of that. And the last one, when I think about now, I chuckle at it, was uh, a few months to, to when my dissertation was due to be submitted. My supervisor at the time, uh, you know, uh, mentioned that I needed to completely change an entire chapter. That put a lot of pressure on me, and that wasn't uh, something that was funny at all, you know, but um, I'm thinking about it now. Uh, that really put me on my toes and that really proved to me that um, I was able to do whatever I set my mind to do. Uh, and in many ways, the, the suggestions that were made and necessitated the need to completely overhaul an entire chapter just a few months to the submission strengthened in many ways the quality of the PhD. During my Viber, the examiners, which I found to be quite interesting, specifically said that I should consider publishing three books because of how good they thought the PhD was. Thank you, Paula. I'm also going to dig a bit into that, and I know you've spoken around this. Was there a gulf between the PhD dream and the reality of doing the PhD? You know, your impression or your expectation about doing a PhD ab initio and the reality of actually doing it. How would you juxtapose both? So, yeah, that's a very interesting question, and thank you for it. So, when I started the PhD, I was all charged and excited. And then midway into it, I realized, oh, it was a lonely journey. You know, there was no one behind. There was no one to the left or the right. It was just me facing the front and heading to an unknown destination, as it were. And in many instances, it also felt as if it was never coming to an end. Like I gave the example of how daunting I thought having to write 100,000 words would be. Ironically, my PhD ended up having slightly over 100,000 words. But I realized very quickly that my understanding of what it entailed was different from what I experienced. Remember at the start of this uh, conversation, I said that one of the things that attracted me to the PhD was the fact that people who had gone before me told me that it was going to be very tasking. So I knew it was going to be quite challenging, but what I had underestimated was the extent which was going to be challenging. And nobody ever really prepares you for that, you know, especially given the fact that uh, it's, uh, it's a PhD in the social sciences, unlike maybe in the sciences or the pure sciences, where perhaps maybe you have a lab to go up to every day and you're mixing chemicals and then you have your colleagues by the side in white gowns and all of that. Unlike a PhD in the social sciences, you're literally on your own, you know, you're working on your own. And half the time, even if you have people who are very close to you, whether it's a spouse, they many times may not really understand what you're talking about. So you really don't have so much anyone else to also talk to about the things that are in your head. So most of the time, you're just walking with thoughts in your head when you're having your shower, you're thinking about things you want to write in the next chapter. So you live a very isolated life and I have to experience that a lot. But for me, I think what 
the beauty of this, what really came out of this for, for me, were many other skills that I picked up along the way that I never thought I would have been able to develop anywhere else. And I think that's one of the unique experiences that a PhD affords you. It teaches you so many things about your own self, including your resilience, including your ability, you know, to complete uh, daunting tasks, time management, you know, project management, and so many other things that come along with the package. It was, was, was quite a wild experience. Thank you for that. I know, you know, this, these experiences you talk about, for those who have gone through that process, they can relate to it quite well. But I want to probe a bit regarding, you said your supervisor made you change a whole chapter during the course of writing up for your PhD. But beyond that, did you have experience of having to make any other radical changes? You've talked about COVID, for example. Did you make any radical changes to your research design, research questions, or even your data collection technique? Did you revert from in-person to virtual? And I mean, what kinds of disruptions, would I say, did you have to cope with beyond just rewriting an entire chapter? So initially, when I had started the PhD, I also had my own preconceived ideas about where the PhD would lead. What I suspected, my hypothesis, you know, as, as it were, where I suspected the speed will be tilting towards. But interestingly, when I started gathering the data, analyzing the data, I was actually very surprised at the findings. And one of the things, and this is just a random example from the PhD, one of the things that I found out was that even while uh, Nigeria at the time was leading the intervention, you know, there were various warring factions. But I also found that interestingly, while Nigeria was fighting some of these factions, it was also giving some form of relief in terms of aid to some of the other factions, to pitch them against the ones who was fighting against. So in other words, these were things that I hadn't discovered that were out there before, you know, but some of the findings were quite interesting. And in many ways, it altered the outcomes that I was expecting to get from the PhD itself. And also when I began to speak more closely with some of the people who were responsible for the particular decisions that shaped the outcomes at the time, one of which included a former president, which I had the privilege of interviewing. Some of the things that he told me because of the PhD data collection were quite revealing. You know, these are probably things that haven't been documented anywhere before. So I found this to be, have been quite interesting and in many ways it shifts, you know, uh, and altered my initial predisposition towards what I thought were going to be the findings I was going to realize. It radically, you know, shifted it and uh, put me on a different path, which I found to have been quite interesting. Thank you, Paula. What is next for you? The PhD is done and dusted. But beyond that, it's also this work. You said your examiner suggested publishing, but I suspect th this is a research agenda rather than just a single piece of, of research. How do you intend to take it forward? And what are the next steps for you, even career-wise? Thank you. Thank you very much for that uh, very important question. So for me, at the heart of my PhD were two things which uh, hadn't been given so much attention to in the past concerning Nigeria's uh, external relations. The first was the subject of a grant strategy. Most of the time when the concept of grant strategy is used, it's something that's mostly affiliated with Western countries, or Western superpowers, okay? But my argument, one of the core arguments of my PhD was that uh, Nigeria being a regional hegemon in itself had a grant strategy. And so whether or not countries are aware, every country has a grant strategy, big or small. You know, so for me, I'm hoping on the one hand to take that conversation forward through empirical research to prove that even countries in Africa beyond even regional hegemons, have a grand strategy and situated around the broader debates in the field of international relations. And secondly, a core aspect of my research had to do with the leadership question, right? And so most of the time when we talk about state-society relations, 
is always embedded within domestic politics. And there's little, in terms of research, with regards to the dynamics between the state and its society on foreign interventions. When a state embarks on a foreign intervention, what's the dynamic and the nature of its relationship between itself and its own society? And in many ways, also the host country, the country that's welcoming that intervention, uh, it's, it's relationship between the society in that country. So these are some of the gaps in the literature that I'm also hoping to continue to pursue, especially with regards to empirical research. It helps to improve and inform our understandings in these uh, two areas. And in terms of career, I love to research. Uh, it was quite a coincidence that shortly after my uh, PhD, we started seeing a lot of build-up, a lot of things happening in the region. So as, as a result, I've had multiple invitations for media appearances, asking me to explain some of the things happening. And also, I've written quite a number of op-eds and, and articles, also trying to shed some more light on this. So I hope to continue along this trajectory within the space of um, research, whether it's as a researcher or whether also in the teaching capacity uh, or in lecture. But these are definitely things I'm passionate about, uh, research and academia, and also trying to also see how I can make connection with policy well, basically. So that's what um, I'm hoping that my research would do going forward. And I'm hoping to also make my own contributions to these as well. Thank you, Fola. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your insight about your PhD journey, your PhD experience with us. Uh, it's always good to to get you know reflection from people who have finished PhD with us. I also want to believe uh, your PhD experience, your student, your learning experience at Kings must have been quite positive, you know, in terms of how you've described it and, and the rest. So I want to thank you uh, and conclude on this note. Thank you, Fola, and best of luck uh, with all that you you've spoken about. Thank you. Bye bye. You've been listening to The World We Got This In Conversation episode with Dr. Folahanmi Aina and Dr. Wale Ismail. You can learn more about Fola's research on the website of the African Leadership Center. This episode was brought to you by the School of Global Affairs. It was produced by me, Meghna Chaukar, and edited by Rachel Ball. You have been listening to The World We Got This podcast. To find out more about the research at King's on this and other global challenges, please visit our website, kcl.ac.uk. Please review, subscribe and share the podcast so you don't miss an episode and it's easier for others to find out about the series.